Welcome to Engage Arizona. Public policy affects all of our lives, often in very profound ways. One of Center for Arizona Policy's main objectives is to inform and educate Arizonans about what's going on at the state capitol and in local governments that impact their lives. If you care about the preborn and their mothers, your rights as a parent, what freedoms are at risk, or how new laws touch your family, we're talking about it. And we invite you to join us as we discuss the latest developments you are not likely to learn from local and national news. Join us now as we unpack the week's developments in Arizona public policy. Welcome to Engage Arizona. I'm Cindy Dahlgren here with Kathy Herod, president of Center for Arizona Policy, and Lisa Brugg, VP of Policy. We have some good local progress on bills at the state capitol. Also, we are going to spend some time discussing great news out of the U.S. Supreme Court. They've decided to take a case, a major abortion case. A lot of facets to this. It's very exciting. First, though, let's talk local. So House Bill 2035 made its way through the Senate pretty smoothly with the usual expected pushback. Uh, bring us up to date as to where that, where that stands. But also, let me just say, this is the parental rights bill that replaces the original one, Senate Bill 1456, that Governor Ducey vetoed about a month ago. Uh, we addressed those issues, and now it's back. So where are we with it? Well, the good news is it did pass the Senate once again on a party-line vote, and it is ready for the House what's called final read. So it is out of what's called House Caucus, and once the House does their final vote on it, then it will go straight to Governor Ducey. Okay, what else is out there? What else are we working on? Well, it's budget time. Well, it's been budget time for a long time, uh, but it's really serious budget time now. So the um, Senate and House leaders are meeting. They're having what they call small group meetings, and we are hoping in the budget to get some pro-life funding in there, to get some school choice um, measures in there, and so we'll see. Um, anything's up for grabs, and it, as usual with budget, we could hear today that it's all settled and they're moving it through, or it could be another couple of weeks. So I, it's that day-to-day -day watch on what goes on at the Capitol. All right, so what are the Oh, go ahead, Lisa. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Just was going to say a lot of that has something to do with schedules. And we've heard some things about some folks who are going to be out of town. And so it's not an easy process to navigate for leadership, for sure. Yeah, they were really being very optimistic when they planned some vacations, at, you know, in the middle of May. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I never quite understand that. But now, because of COVID, the House will let members vote remotely. And so I was informed that you know, they can either vote remotely, or of course, or the House would fly someone in just to be able to vote. And I think that huh. is, is very likely as well. So we're going to pay for them to fly back from Hawaii for one day for one vote. <laughs> I guess if it's on our bills, that. it's okay. <laughs> I wonder if this will set a precedent for the future. It's going to be very interesting to see post-COVID how we navigate um, all of this remote uh, voting and things that have happened this session. So are we looking at the end of June, do you think? No, I think okay. we're still, I'm hopeful we're still looking at the end of May or right after Memorial Day. I don't, I don't think it will take a long time, but you never know because you've got, you know, if it's going to be a Republican budget, to put it that way, then they have to have all 31 Republicans, all 16 Dem Republicans on board in the House and Senate. And so then that means that you've got to have the most conservative Republican members agreeing with the most moderate Republican members. So sometimes it becomes a, okay, what do you want in the budget? And here's the dollar amount. And basically what's it going to take to, I won't say buy your vote in the budget, but to get your support in the budget. And interesting, at the time of this recording, they are right now discussing the ERA that came out of the blue. 
You never quite know what's going to happen next, but the yes, the House Democrats moved to have a consideration of an HCR that would ratify the Equal Rights Amendment and then send it to the Senate. This is not, you know, the vote is still going on as we're recording, but I, this won't go anywhere, and this is still just the, I will say, the liberal feminist crying that the Equal Rights Amendment is needed for equal pay. We know that's not true. And the real, the real importance, uh, the real push for this is because it would codify abortion rights in the U.S. Constitution. Exactly. And that's, that, it might have something to do with the fact that Monday the U.S. Supreme Court decided to take up that case. It's uh, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Mississippi passed the law in 2018 by an overwhelming majority. This is a ban on abortions after 15 weeks. This is the first ban that the court has agreed to take up. Correct. Well, the first ban at a 15-week mark like this. I mean, right. they they have upheld you know the ban on partial birth abortion right. and, and that. But this is the importance of this from a legal perspective. Is this would be the first time that the courts would allow states to regulate pre-viability abortions. And it's always interesting because people love to say, well, viability is at 24 weeks. Well, no, it's not. Viability is a moving target. Viability for some preborn children can be as early as 20 weeks. And it, 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 it is, it's just a moving target. And so this would be the first time that the states would, you know, the court would say that states do have a, a right to look out for maternal health as well as protect unborn life. And so they can regulate pre-viability abortions. Most legal scholars on the pro-life side believe this is a critical step to addressing Roe. Yeah, and I think that's why you'll see a lot more across the nation of this kind of political theater from the other side um, trying to raise money and, and elevate the issue and get it, you know, front and center on the front page of the newspaper uh, to try and, and ward off, um, you know, this this hearing and and others hopefully that will follow. Yeah, Mississippi asked the court to look at three different things, or, or at least I don't know how exactly that works. I'm sure you do, but they, they gave them three options, I guess, to look at. And the biggest one is whether or not bans on pre-viability abortions are unconstitutional. And they took that one. They took the big one. What does that tell you? Well, we don't know what it tells us. Uh, and that's where this case probably will come out by June of 2022. The hearings won't happen until probably later in the year, most likely the first part of 2022. But it does tell us that at least four members of the court wanted to, wanted to take this case and wanted to rule on whether states could, could address pre-viability abortions. Of course, our hope is that it's four who will uphold the rights of states to regulate in this area and that there will be a fifth vote. Um, this will be the first time that we will have uh, Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Amy, well, first time Justice Amy Coney Barrett on the record, but it's also um, a question of how far will Kavanaugh and Roberts go. So court observers will be closely watching those three because they hold the keys to what happens. All right. So just thinking optimistically again, if they do uphold this 15-week ban, what does that mean for the six-week ban? It means a lot. It potentially means a lot. Now, it's so much going to depend on what the dicta, what's called dicta in the opinion, what they say. And my guess is that this will be one of those kind of opinions where we've got concurring opinions and dissents, and you've got multiple opinions, and you'll have some like Justice Thomas saying that the state should be free to outlaw abortion, to regulate it from the moment of conception. But we'll, we'll have to just see you know, how those opinions come out and whether it would impact heartbeat, whether, uh, you, you know, could they use this, this case to overturn Roe versus Wade. 
Technically, yes. They could use any case to overturn Roe versus Wade. Will they? Not likely. They, the court is far more likely to uphold the Mississippi law, let states regulate pre-viability, and then take the next step down the road. So that, you know, it's anyone's yeah. guess what's going to happen. This is the time in, uh, you know, in the world, in our time, that is, we have science and technology advancements on our side. And I think that's one of the reasons why this is moving, um, is just that with the technology that we have today to detect life and to actually do the science, um, that in the past years, you know, a lot of times it was a little bit of guesswork and, and, and variables, um, but, uh, but I'm super grateful now for this science and technology being on our side on this. Well, and to that point, let's talk about what a baby can do at 15 weeks. That a baby at 15 weeks can move around and kick in her, her mother's womb. That a mom can hear, can feel her baby moving at 15 weeks. Mm -hmm. The baby certainly has a heartbeat. She can taste what mom eats. She can experience pain. And you know, the other part of this is this isn't just about the life of the preborn child. This is also about we know the later in a pregnancy a woman has an abortion, the greater risk to the woman's health. So really, a state looking out to ban pre-viability abortions at 15 weeks, that's not only taking care of the life of the pre-born child, it's also taking care of the health and safety of the woman. And so that, you know, the abortion industry for years has said, oh yes, you've got to have the abortion early because it's, it's not safe for a woman later in pregnancy. Okay, yeah, let, let's make sure that that's reality in the law. Well, one mm -hmm. of the big points that, uh, that Mississippi was making when they uh, came up with this law was because of the pain that the unborn baby feels. And so isn't this, isn't this um, uncommon to really focus on the baby? It, it seems like it's usually about the rights. I don't know how many times this has come up, um, you know, to the, through the courts where they're focused on the baby. I mean, unless, of course, like you're saying, pre-viability, but to be looking at it based on the pain that the baby feels. I mean, we're at a different place now than we were in 1973 and, and even later in Casey, where we didn't have this information. Well, that's like what Lisa was saying. You know, there, there's the famous line in the Casey decision that medical technology was on a collision course with a trimester frame, framework. We've mm -hmm. seen that collision course, and it has collided. And so the, the idea that states that you can have an abortion, up, well, of course, technically you can have an abortion up till the day of delivery. I mean, and most people don't realize that, but the way Roe was was so loosely worded that you can say because of the mother's health that she could have, be having an abortion and she's carrying a full-term baby while in the next room a woman is desperately trying to save her unborn child. So that, that's that been the reality since 1973. So this will be a huge step forward to uh, you know allow those and we'll see what they do on a health exception and some of those things. But this needs to be, you know, this needs to happen. There's no question. Mm -hmm. Pro-abortion activists are really focusing on precedent. Oh, this is going to you know, overturn 50 years of precedent. Well, what about precedent? I mean, how much will that play? I would imagine a lot. And what if the precedent is wrong? Well, if the precedent... <laughs> Precedence is wrong. They it can, is wrong. <laughs> yeah, they can overturn it. The interesting note on that is the last abortion ruling that the court did was, of course, the Louisiana case on admitting privileges, and that's where Justice Roberts he had voted to overturn the Texas, I mean, to uphold the Texas law on admitting privileges. Then on the Louisiana one, he voted to um, overturn them because of the precedent mm -hmm. set by the Texas case. But it's very important to note that in the concurring opinion that Justice Roberts wrote, he 
uh, sometimes we say that he left a lot of breadcrumbs in that concurring opinion, where many of us believe that he gave some indication that he would be willing, he would look at other ab abortion-related laws differently and would uphold those as constitutionally. So that's going to be the key thing. When that opinion comes out, we're all going to be looking first to see what Roberts did. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, so... Amy Coney Barrett during her confirmation hearings, obviously that was a lot. You know, they talked they talked a lot about Roe and precedents and uh, super precedents. And she said she called that you know the only cases that are super precedents are where there is no real opposition uh, making arguments against it. And she says the fact that I'm sitting here and you're asking me a lot of questions about it shows that Roe has not set super precedents. But then she followed by saying that does not mean it should be overturned, which, of course, in her confirmation hearing, you know, you have to kind of play it down the middle like that. But I thought that was very interesting. And what you had alluded to earlier about um, Justice Thomas, he's been very clear that he thinks Roe was wrongly decided and needs to be undone, as he put it. Yes. And I and that's what we're very optimistic about that. And I think on, on Justice Barrett's comments before the Senate Judiciary Committee, I don't put a lot of weight in those because to say that it doesn't mean that it should be overturned. Well, that's also absence, uh, absent of any case before her. Right. any facts before her, any of that. And as a any judicial candidate should not be giving any set opinion on any potential case that's going to come before them. Uh, and, and certainly Justice Barrett's record seemed to indicate that she would interpret the law, not make the law, and that she would not be a defender of Roe. Right. Right. So to me, this seems to put more pressure on the whole idea of killing the filibuster and packing the court. I would imagine they're working on that as we speak. Oh, as a matter of fact, I know that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think today <laughs> as we are recording, I remember reading yesterday that they were meeting today, that commission that uh, Biden put together to look into expanding the court uh, was going to meet today for the first time. And then that that starts a 180-day, um, I guess, limitation that they're working on for this. I would imagine there's a lot more pressure for that. And if if they're somehow able to do that, do they have time to pack the court to affect this case? Well, great question. It depends on the 2022 midterms. <laughs> would they be able to pass this? I mean, first they would have to break the filibuster, because which means in the U.S. Senate they'd have to have the 60 votes to bring a measure up that would allow them to add members to the U.S. Supreme Court. We still have Senators Sinema from Arizona, Senator Manchin from West Virginia, holding very strong on not supporting breaking the filibuster rule. I've been told that Senator Sinema is very strong on that. So, I mean, so that that's the first blockade they would have to overcome. So, I, you know, yeah, I'm they're, they're yeah. working at a sorry. Go ahead. I'm just saying they're kind of working it on two levels now because it does look like HR, you know, one um, is stalling a bit, and mainly because of the pushback from um, conservatives, and um, they put up a bunch of amendments, and, and 10 of them stuck. About 23 of them got uh, kicked out last week during the, the hearing on it, um, but they still can force it to the floor. Um, but now they're working on the, uh, the John Lewis Voter Rights Act, and they're trying to weave that in, um, some even say as a strike-all. Um, so they really are trying really hard because they know Manchin is holding still and not going to budge. He, he, you know, he doesn't even support the bill, let alone support lifting the filibuster. 
So that, that's a good sign, and, and I'm hopeful that that won't happen. The other thing, though, for everyone to keep in mind is that the 2022 midterm elections are critical. This decision on the Mississippi law will come out in the heat, you know, mm -hmm. as the midterm elections are heating up. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Arizona, U.S. Senator Mark Kelly will be on the ballot. He will be up for for re-election for a full six-year term. He supports breaking the filibuster rule, or it appears that he does. He certainly supports um, every pro-abortion law that's that's ever come along. So. Voters in Arizona have a real choice. Are you going to elect someone that, that would go ahead and probably codify Roe versus Wade, mean, meaning put it in federal law permanently type of thing, or will they you know, elect someone who will hold to the tradition of the filibuster, the purpose of the filibuster, and not be uh, um, rapidly pro-abortion? Yeah, and the Biden administration said that it is committed to codifying Roe regardless of the outcome of the case. So I... To me, that insinuates either, you know, breaking the filibuster to do that, maybe the ERA, because that would uh, enshrine abortion into the U.S. Constitution. I don't know what else he would be talking about unless he's talking about if we can't pack the court now, we pack it afterwards if we don't have enough time. And then the next case that comes up, we turn it around. I, I don't know. They will just pass a federal law that says abortion is legal in all states and try to have that be controlling in all 50 states and not give states the ability and certainly not give any um, deference to the, the, the rights of the unborn child. That is... That is another thing to think about when people are voting for House or U.S. House or U.S. Senate candidates on where they're going to stand on life. Because if, if we do have Roe overturned, then it's going to be a dogfight in every state on what happens next and in the U.S. Congress. And they can they can pass a federal law and make it happen. Yeah, yeah they want to forget that we're a constitutional republic and just <laughs> shove it down to every state's mouth. Um, and, and I think that that's one of our calls to action is, is what Kathy is saying, is just to rise up and just remember that elections have consequences. And there's a growing frustration among the states, certainly it's been happening for a few years, of the federal government, um, what, denying states' rights, you know, that they're that ignoring states' rights. And so, you know, at some point, that's almost a collision course as well, as when are the, the rights of states to pass certain laws, how they're colliding with the federal government's overreach and their grab of power, and what's going to, you know, how, how is that going to be resolved in the future? Right, and, and a lot of states have already taken steps in case Roe is overturned uh, on both sides. But just a Forbes article had listed a bunch of states, California, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, and, and many others have already enacted state laws that would make sure that abortion is legal in the in the case of Roe being overturned. And then, of course, Arizona and several others already have laws on the books if Roe were to, um, to be overturned. And this would all just go back to the states. So it, it's not like, you know, abortion would be illegal if Roe was overturned. It all goes back to the states. Which is, is okay. Mm -hmm. But it's unfortunate that you know, years ago, in the early years of the pro-life movement, it was about having a U.S. constitutional amendment mm -hmm. to grant um, personhood to the unborn child and to declare that life begins at the moment of conception. And we've moved past being able to even talk about those. But that's it will be, you know, a fight in every state instead of having um, a, a you know nationwide that we recognize the rights of the unborn child, the right to life. Yeah, and I can see the push already. I know what we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot of over the next year is, um, you know, the headlines are already, oh, hey, America wants the Supreme Court to uphold Roe. I mean, so we're going to get inundated with this um, 
and this narrative that, oh, they shouldn't do it, they shouldn't do it, you know, that sort of thing. Not that the justices listen to that sort of thing, but, you know, they're, they're kind of setting that up. Well, right. we hope they don't. <laughs> I don't know. It's been so political the last decade on the court, um, as we all know. So we hope and pray not, but also that we can get um, our side up and running as well. Because I do believe there's just as many voices um, in support of, of getting rid of it than there are as opposed to yeah, yeah, exactly. We just have to take action. I yeah. mean, and there, we can't sit on our laurels. For sure. And there are already um, laws in effect in several states, although they're not, I shouldn't say they're in effect, they've been passed, but now they're held up in courts. Um, South Carolina, Oklahoma, Idaho, they all have heartbeat laws. Um, Arkansas, Oklahoma have near total bans on abortion. Montana banned after 20 weeks. None of them are in effect, all held up in court. Um, so they're all waiting on this because I, I would imagine they could be, as you said, it depends on the nuance of, of the ruling, but that they could, um, all those laws could be affected by this case. Well, for example, Arkansas has filed what's called a cert petition before the U.S. Supreme Court asking them to take the Arkansas law that prohibits abortions um, because of the, a diagnosis of Down syndrome in the unborn child. And just for the um, listeners' information, our Congressman Lesko and Biggs, and as well as Attorney General Mark Brnovich, have all signed briefs urging the court to take that case. Probably in something like this, the case will rule on Mississippi before they'll decide whether they take the Arkansas case. But we'll see what happens with that. So are we missing any other points to this? Is there anything else we should be looking for or pay, paying attention to? Or we just have to wait for October or November when they start hearing it? I think pray. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah that's always the, is it to pray for those nine Supreme Court justices and to pray for the, the truth to be revealed. I can recall being told that there was a former Supreme Court justice who always read the Washington Post. And so our side would be, okay, it's really important kind of what goes in the Washington Post and what that justice <laughs> might be seeing. Now that, that justice is no longer on the court, but I think um, the briefs and, and the, I think also people to be to be willing to defend certainly what happens at, at a baby at 15 weeks, 16 weeks, what viability means. That I think to be ready to, to give a defense for why the the right to life should be protected and we should have a ban on pre viability abortions because. If the U.S. Supreme Court upholds this law like they should, then you will have a lot of other states, like us in Arizona, moving quickly to pass a similar law. Correct, yeah. And with all these new laws that are held up in court right now, that's quite a coalition that we have. I mean, we can all rise up, join together for that common goal, and I think they're going to see some pressure that, that maybe uh, they hadn't seen because it wasn't as organized in the past. Well, another point to just mention is that you know, Arizona, a number of years ago, passed a ban on abortions after 20 weeks. That law was uh, upheld in the federal district court, then overturned by the Ninth Circuit, and the U.S. Supreme Court declined to take review of our case. So that was a, a big blow when that happened. Mm -hmm. There are a number of states, there are probably 16 or 17 states, that have bans on 20 weeks. So that's another reason to point out that's why this one is big, to move from 20 weeks to 15 weeks. That is a significant step forward on being able to protect preborn children before they're viable. Well, 2022 is going to be quite interesting. Not only is it the election year, but then we're going to be hearing about this case and then having a ruling on it. So look forward to it. We'll be talking about it a lot in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe 
rate, and give a review on any podcast platform you use. For more information, visit azpolicy.org.